1: And good afternoon, good Wednesday afternoon. So glad to have you hanging around with us today. And I've told you this before, you are our best researchers. You guys come up with the best ideas and it's usually just a a text or a phone call that we hear topics that you raise or we get introduced to great guests. And it was a couple of weeks ago that I was talking with Tom Keenan and you might've been hanging out with us that day as well. The fact that there is just a proliferation, proliferation. Can I say that? Maybe I'll pick another word. There is a lot of cameras out there. 10, 15 years ago, the whole idea of a camera on a C train platform was unheard of. But now, of course, Big Brother's watching us to the point where we kind of doesn't matter anymore. It just seems they're all over the place. It doesn't bother us. But within that conversation, my guest this half hour gave us a call, Sharon Polsky. She's the president of the Privacy and Access Council of Canada. And we quickly determined that Sharon knew a lot about the whole issue of our own privacy, our right to know who has information on us. And Sharon mentioned, well, you know what? On September 28th, it's the International Right to Know Day. And I said, well, we've got to have Sharon on the air with us. So, Sharon, thanks so much for dropping by the studio. It is my pleasure. Have you ever had such a long introduction? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I, I always like to give my listeners an idea of how we do come up with uh, the topics. And, and this was one that really jumped out at us because I think, and Sharon, you've got to tell me, the idea behind the International Day for Universal Access to Information, why it's so important for us to know our information and how we can access it.
0: It actually started in Bulgaria and in the eastern european countries they have a perhaps a greater sensibility about the right to privacy how very critical it is because without privacy you have no freedom and for the people who have lived in regimes where everything you do everything you say is monitored they come to canada and it's a breath of fresh air however It's changing and the same way that in Eastern European countries, the Stasi, you'd hang up your telephone and you'd actually have to put it under a pillow or something because the microphone would still be on. Now we have smartphones where the microphone will be on and you don't know it. The camera will be on on your computer watching everything you do and you won't know it. We're living in the same thing that we used to revile.
1: Well, and also go back to Bulgaria. They would have, it was a culture. They just thought, yeah, uh, everything I do and say is being monitored. So it would have taken such a huge presence to say, no, we, we don't want this. Because it was probably on a uh, threat of death in some cases.
0: Oh, it absolutely, absolutely was. And people do disappear. And we have that in Canada now where people are examined. They are uh, tracked. And it's it's insidious, and you don't know, perhaps, for sure. And it sounds like conspiracy theory. I actually had a, a very interesting conversation with someone a few years ago, sitting uh, over coffee in Vancouver, and he said, you know, if you've ever come home and your house has been broken into, you just get that sense where something just doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. He came home to his apartment one day, and nothing was out of place, and he got that funny sense... <laughs> And then he realized that his computer had been gone through thoroughly. He's a privacy advocate, and he objects to things like uh, Bill C-51 and state surveillance. The message was made loud and clear. It happens here.
1: Wow. All right. You know, what? I, before we get into this more, I, I wanted to just get your reaction because Rob Breckenridge had Michael Platt from the Calgary Sun on earlier today and then followed it up with a conversation with Councillor Diane collier And this is the whole thing around FOIP. And I, I mean, I, I have to watch sometimes when I throw out FOIP that some people still aren't even familiar with that acronym, acronym, but the freedom of information policy. Sharon, how do you define FOIP to someone who's never heard about it before?
0: FOIP is the law that applies to the public sector. So that's governments, schools, anything that is in the public sector. And it controls, it it dictates rather, how personal information is supposed to be handled and who has access to it and under what circumstances. Across Canada, the last time I checked, there was over three dozen individual access and privacy laws because there's public sector... FOIP in Alberta, Mm -hmm. FOIPOP in other places. Uh, They all, the names are similar. The acronyms, you could play an entire Scrabble game with them. Right. Uh, There's similar private sector laws. We have PIPA here, the Personal Information um, Protection Act. Uh, There's the federal level. Uh, In Alberta, we have specific legislation that addresses health information privacy and access. But FOIP relates to the public sector. The government, essentially. And FOIP is the fact that I could file a
1: FOIP request when I want information that the government has.
0: Yes. We, Canadians, have a right, whether it's the public sector or private sector, we have a right to ask what information an organization holds about us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. it depends where you are as to whether certain information is yours or mine. For instance, in Alberta, if I express an opinion about you, that's my personal information. If we're in British Columbia and I express an, uh, an opinion about you, that's your personal information. Don't ask me what happens if you're in BC and I'm in Alberta and we express <laughs> opinions where about each other. Where that ends up, yeah. It, it gets really complex. Right. And then if, because if the information goes outside of provincial boundaries. Mm-hmm. It gets really complex. Simply put, we have the right to ask for information. There are certain mandatory exemptions where the information is not allowed to be given out under any circumstances. And there are certain um, discretionary exemptions where the person who receives the access request looks at it and says, hmm, this piece of information we shouldn't... Release? We shouldn't release it. No, we're going to redact that. We'll black mm. it out. Yeah, right. And then if I disagree, I can challenge their redaction and eventually uh, put in a complaint to the Alberta Information and Privacy Commissioner, Jill Clayton.
1: And the reason we're bringing it up today is because there's been a slight change, it appears, when it comes to people making a FOIP request. So if a reporter or an individual or a business is looking for information from a public sector, let's say City Hall, it, the, the change, as I understand it, is that will simultaneously be released. But it's only because I have requested that information. Is that how I'm understanding this?
0: Uh, that's v- essentially it, yes. Mm-hmm. Problem is, though, the idea of simultaneous disclosure undermines the, the very, very important job that investigative journalists do. They dig. And keep in mind, FOIP applications cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Initially, all of the Freedom of Information laws were intended to give us the right to get access to the information. Without a cost. At well, nominal cost, uh, yeah, Nominal, perhaps. yes. But, uh, and of course we have to trust that the organization we're asking actually does a thorough search. Mm-hmm. We can't prove it. We can't dispute it. We ask again and again and again, each time there's more cost. So it's cost prohibitive, and most people just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And the delays and all the rest of it, it's a colossal uh, discouragement from putting in access requests to the point that FOIP laws uh, really have been viewed now as a barrier to access. So what the journalists do is so important because without that, Canadians would have such less opportunity to find out what their elected representatives are doing, what the bureaucrats are doing with the tax dollars, whether it's public policy or infrastructure everything they do, we should be able to find out. Right. And then if that
1: information is released simultaneously, what is the harm in that?
0: Well, um, I was listening to... Uh, Rob oh, talking with... Diane Collier. Oh, yeah, Councillor Collier. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I've heard this argument before. Uh, our former Premier Jim Prentice tried to implement something similar at the provincial level, and it got thrown out. It was... It, it's. It's counterproductive is a nice way of saying it. If you were to go through all the hoops and the expense and the bother to investigate something, put in an FOI request and get the results, and whether it's immediate or within, as our mayor suggested, uh, 48 to 72 hours, maybe seven days, everybody would have access to that response. Mm -hmm. It defeats all of the work that you have done. If you're going to try and break a story, what's the point of doing that anymore when everybody can go online and get the same answer without having to have gone through any of the hoops or the expense? Right.
1: Well, and I know when I listened briefly with Diane collier because I was busy preparing for this show as well, she was... Arguing, well, we've got to make it easier on the front end. And, and for me, that's not making it easier. I'm, I'm thinking that we've got to make it easier for people to access this information, going back to your barriers when it comes to financial barriers or whatever it would
0: be. Yes, I agree. Make it easier up front. Uh, here, here's a really good example I encountered. I've, I've got a tree at the back of my yard, and it's grown quite tall, and I'm thinking I have to have someone trim it before it interferes with the wires or the wind breaks, whatever. Right. And uh, I was cautioned, you don't touch a tree because if it's city property, you're, in look, you're, you're looking at being fined right. if they find out. So I called 311 and said, how do I find out if a tree is on my property or yours? They mm-hmm. said, well, what's the address? We'll check the map. I said, well, where can I look at the map? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, no. What's the address? I had to give them the address, describe the tree, like I know trees. They're green. It grows. (laughs) I don't know. It's tall. Exactly. And they said, no, it's on your property. You can cut it down. You can trim it. You can top it. Whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I said, is that map online somewhere? Mm -hmm. No. I said, why not? Because it's not. If you need other information, call us. This isn't secret information. It's a map. Every single city-owned tree is on the map. Every single stump is on the map.
1: And you could find out by going online whether or not that tree was a city tree or your tree, and you could go and chop it down.
0: Well, wouldn't it be nice if we could get such mundane information? It's called routine disclosure. Now, be careful because a lot of governments have gone to this concept of open government. And they hail it as wonderful. It's a victory for citizens and it's a victory for innovation. It is. Because the administration, whether it's the city of Calgary or the province, whichever government, they choose the bits and pieces of data, the data sets, and they serve it up and say, here, here's a wonderful data set. It's open. You can... Mash it, you can analyze it, you can use it to develop new programs, to do, what, create an app. Isn't that great? They have cherry-picked it. Right. They've that, chosen
1: what they're giving us.
0: Precisely. That is not access. That is not transparency. That is a red herring.
1: Sharon Polsky is my guest this half hour. She's the president of the Privacy and Access Council of Canada. And really, that was just uh, the tip of the iceberg. Coming up after the break, what you need to know and and how important it is for you to know the information that different levels of government have, that companies have, and what you can do about that. I'm Angela Kokot. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. Well, it is International Day for Universal Access to Information, uh, kind of the right-to-know day. And Sharon Polsky is my guest. She is the president of the Privacy and Access Council of Canada. This began, your interest in this began many years ago. You're saying in the early days of computers and desktop computers, were you concerned that people were, what they were doing with that information wasn't being protected?
0: Oh, it was fascinating to watch how people were very, very casual with information these new devices, desktop computers, that were a fraction of the power and memory and several times the price of what we all carry in our back pocket now, they were a novelty. It was great. And people were really sloppy about it. And there's never been really any substantive training to tell people what to do and what not to do. There's really never been any education about the laws that apply to our information and our right to gain access to it. The commissioners generally don't have a mandate or funding for that. And schools are busy teaching other things, so they don't teach history. They don't teach much except stay safe out there. Well, that's like me throwing my car keys to the 10-year-old kid and say stay safe out there.
1: Well, and that's what also concerns me is that we've got a generation of people who have been raised with technology and giving information to Facebook or whatever. We've all heard the information that Google has on us, that Mark Zuckerberg has on us. How do we, is it a trade-off? Because I like checking in on my friends on Facebook. Is it the price I have to pay for this advancement?
0: It's a trade-off, yes, but if people were making a truly informed choice, it would be one thing. When it comes to dealing with our governments, we usually don't have a choice. We have to provide the information. They require it. It's coercive. There's a power imbalance. It just, we have no option. Um, And that's partly why it's so very important that we be able to get access to our information and find out. Who there is looking at it? I mean, how many, how many listeners have ever put in a request Alberta Health to see what is the log of everybody who has accessed your medical record? It exists. We don't look at it. When it comes to giving up our personal information and all the minutia of our life, the little surveys online, what's your favorite color, what's your favorite dog, all of that information, it's consumer choice surveys at no cost to the person, the company surveying, all that information typically goes into the U.S. That has completely different laws than Canada, of course, where our information is gathered, it's sliced and diced and resold. So a potential employer in Canada can buy your history in the States, whether it's accurate or not. Our former privacy commissioner in Ottawa had that. Her face was splashed across the front cover of McLean's magazine. She was outraged and and wondered how is it that her personal Bell Mobility cell phone record had been gathered by a McLean's
1: reporter. Sharon, I know we're just scratching the surface and we've only got about a minute and a half left. But what could you leave with listeners as far as, even when you say trying to find out the information and who's been accessing that information... How do
0: I even go about doing that? Start asking questions. Yes, the privacy policies are long, wordy, and I've written them. I actually am the one that caused Apple to be investigated federally and change their privacy policy. But I'm not naive to think that it makes that much of a difference. They change one thing, they change something else. The policies that are online give us a warm fuzzy. Ask questions and learn to say no. Set up dummy email accounts. When something online says, oh, you want this free information, just w- give us a bit of your information, your name, your address, your phone number. It has to be a name, something that is in the form of a valid email address. If it doesn't work, then use a throwaway email right. address. Right. It has to be a phone number. There's such a thing as, uh, it, it used to be before cell phones, long distance information, Put in an area code, five 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 one two one two. An email address, abuse at yahoo.com. It's a valid email address. And that way they're not tracking your information then? Well, it's a bit of a ruse. Put on anti uh, advertising blockers on your computer, on your web browsers to minimize the number of ads. Uh, You can go into your settings and put on uh, little features that will reduce the amount of tracking that is done of your visits from one website to another, how long you spend on a particular page. Empty the cash yes. from
1: your... That, that alone, and I've just run out of time, but that alone, I learned how to do that. Empty the cash, your history cash, and even someone saying cash, C-A-C-H-E-E. Sharon, uh, what, what insight. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. My pleasure. Sharon Polsky, President of the Privacy and Access Council of Canada.
0: Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.